Welcome, Phoenix fans, to another episode of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert. I'll be doing the color commentary for AUDL.TV once the season starts. I'm joined by everyone's favorite Phoenix personality and my friend Alexander Shaggy Shragas. Shaggy, thanks for joining me again, buddy. Yeah, I'm I'm glad. This is so strange to do, Steve, because <laughs> just get this back. It, it is strange because we, we're doing multiple podcasts per day right now. The recordings don't go up till later on. So we're actually, we've talked multiple times today. So I'm asking Shags how he's doing minutes after I hang up with him. So it's, it's really I'm I'm getting a moment by moment update on how Shaggy's doing on a, on a, on this on this lovely day. So Shag, I'm glad to hear you're doing great. Glad to be doing great. <laughs> we are we are joined in this episode by a very special guest, former Callahan winner, a uh, a a an ultimate coach of just epic proportions. Uh, the, the coach of the uh, Atlanta Hustle in the AUDL, Miranda Knowles. Miranda, thank you for joining us on The Burning Bird. Super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And there's a lot we're going to cover here tonight. On And uh, let, let's just start. Where where are you from originally? I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I uh, grew up, well, in Clarkston, Georgia, which is a small town just outside the perimeter here, um, as well as in Decatur, Georgia, which is just east of Atlanta. And I attended Padilla High School, which is in Atlanta proper. Ah, uh, you went to you went to Padilla. That's a that's a very well known uh, old school. <laughs> yeah, uh, you might have heard of it. <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, we'll we'll touch base on that later. And you you still coach at that high school, I believe. Is that right? That's right. I'm a high school biology teacher, and I coach the girls varsity ultimate team. And coaching the Atlanta Hustle is that something that is, is near and dear to your heart, being it's your hometown? Oh, for sure. I mean, I I grew up watching all the teams in Atlanta, which back then was just, you know, the Falcons, the Braves, the Hawks, and some some Thrashers, which was our hockey team for a while. Sure. Um, and, like, I, I never in my wildest dreams thought that there would be a, a professional Ultimate Frisbee team here, let alone I would be able to coach it. And so, yeah, it's it's really special to be coaching a professional team and to be coaching in my hometown. We're going through some uh, rough times here in the, in America and not just in Philadelphia, but at Atlanta as well. And uh, we'll, we're going to get back to some ultimate talk in a, in a little bit, but we would be remiss if we didn't talk about what was going on in Atlanta. How, how are you uh, handling what's uh, with, with the protests and the, uh, the death of George Floyd and everything going on down in, in Atlanta, Georgia? Um, you know, not well. I don't think anybody's handling it well. I hope nobody's handling it ha- handling it well. Um, there are definitely protests here, and there have been new events that are um, violence against the protesters, and a lot of protesters here have been um, arrested, and we have a curfew. I think tonight, you know, tonight is a weekend night, and we have an 8 p.m. curfew tonight and it's been 9 p.m. all last week and so yeah we definitely there's a feeling of like living in a police state which honestly like if that's what it takes for issues like this to come to the forefront of our society for us to talk about them and for things to change then great so be it um but it is it is sad and I'm scared for for people here and people in Philadelphia and around the country um, 
yeah, it's definitely been a really hard time. I mean, this is almost the exact thing that people are protesting against is, is this kind of police state and the, and the violence against the protest. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just very, uh, tenuous is very tenuous. And I, I do hear that, you know, things, things that have changed in some cities, you know, San Francisco and, um, other cities that have had some police reform. I am very hopeful that, that we will add Atlanta to the list of cities that have reform um, based on these protests. I really hope that change can come from this. Uh, change has to come from from this after after that video surfaced from that police officer. That was uh, that was just absolutely horrifying that that was able to occur in this day and day and age. And I'm I'm sure you you agree with me as as a, as a teacher. What do you I mean? How do you even start the conversation with with kids about this kind of thing right yeah and i i mean it is about this video and this death but like we've heard i can't breathe before and i think it's it's just horrific and yeah i i think the important thing as a teacher is that we do talk about it and um you know, my school ended last week on Friday, and we had some professional development this week. And I'm really lucky my school has a director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so he led some workshops for students and for teachers. So I think for for me right now and for us as teachers, it's important that we keep learning and that we are aware of what culturally responsive teaching looks like and that we um, that we don't shy away from this. I think it's really important that teachers step up and have what are certain to be awkward conversations and difficult conversations, but um, silence is a much worse alternative. So, and that's something I think I have been really scared to like say anything on social media or, or things like that because I didn't want to say anything wrong and I, I didn't want to I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem and I think I, I had been sort of paralyzed by that and actually one of my the captains of the hustle Kelvin Williams um, started posting things and he's a very reserved person and um, seeing his emotion and <sighs> call to action. And his, he, what he was saying was stop being silent because if you're silent, no one knows how you really feel. And it's hard not to think the worst or at least wonder the worst. And so that was really what pushed me to start actually talking and sharing things that I'm trying to do to be part of the solution. Yeah, we're, it's, it's, it's hard to say the right thing all the time. And um, like hosting a podcast for about mm -hmm. Ultimate Frisbee is supposed to be fun and uh, lighthearted. And uh, and uh, now we've, we find ourselves using this as a platform to for people to use their voice and for us to have conversations that are very difficult to have and uh, that are awkward. And we can only hope that we are saying the right things and we are here listening to what is being said and uh and we uh, take the appropriate steps forward to 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 be better and and to do more of the right thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 
if you said the right thing all the time, you wouldn't be learning or growing. And so the hope is that you can make small mistakes and, and that you have friends and people who call you on your stuff that, uh, that help you grow and that by making those mistakes, you can actually get better. You know, I think that's exactly what it's like to play a sport. And I hope that we all are taking that, you know, method of improvement in our lives and how we, how we participate in society. Speaking of how you play a sport, I mean, you, you go out of your way to teach people how to play ultimate in a, a very uh, high integrity way. I mean, you, you coach Sean Mott and he was very impressed with your, um, your coaching ability. Do you just want to talk about what it was like to coach him a little bit? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, that's so fun. It was really great to be able to coach players from around the country um, at the national team tryouts. Um, and yeah, Sean was really awesome. Of course, I, I had been watching film of him quite a bit because I've been really excited about this AADL season and, you know, getting a new division and so many new teams. And so I've been watching Sean a lot. And um, I think on the field, like he obviously shows out in the film. Um, he's clearly extremely talented and, you know, seeing him play both for the Phoenix and for Amp, like he's a, he's a wonderful player. I think what I got from coaching him on a couple of the scrimmage teams at the national team trials was really how thoughtful he is. Like he was really soaking it all in and was taking opportunities to ask questions and to, to just be aware of everything that was happening. And, when I talk to my athletes about going to national team tryouts, you know, people are always like, Oh, I'm never going to make the team. Why should I apply? And the point is like, if you're, if you're good enough to get to a tryout, like the point is going to the tryout, like that it's an amazing opportunity to learn. And I think players who don't have that outlook are really missing out. And it was clear to me that Sean was there. Yeah. To try to like compete for a spot on one of the teams, but also to learn and to enjoy the process of, playing for new coaches and with new teammates. Um, he's a real class act. Well, very, very high praise coming from a, a, a coach of your caliber. No, <laughs> no question about that. Um, you were also the uh, head coach for Ultimate Peace, where you brought the Israeli and Palestinian kids together for Ultimate. What was that experience like for you? And yeah, of course. I love talking about Ultimate Peace, and it's actually been – quite a few years since I've been able to go to the camp in the summer um, or participate much because of my other responsibilities and family. But it's one of the things I'm most proud to have participated in, like in my entire life. Um, I actually uh, was part of Ultimate Peace that, like when it started around 2008, I believe. Um, and that was a time in my playing career where I had kind of, I think I had sort of gotten to a place of, of maybe complacency on like how how much ultimate can bring to your life and how much joy it is, especially compared to traditional sports. I grew up playing soccer and basketball primarily, and you know I'd been playing ultimate for about ten years at that time, and was asked to be part of Ultimate Peace by David Barkin and other leaders in our community, and I was like, sure, this sounds awesome. I get to travel for ultimate hooray. And when I got there and we were coaching 
kids in, you know, I think it was in Hirecon Park in Tel Aviv, and, you know, kids are coming on buses from the West Bank, from Jerusalem, from Jericho, from all over the Middle East, just to play together. Um, and then we're teaching things that, you know, we're not, we're using English, which is everyone's second or third language. And uh, it, it just, it showed me how much ultimate can transcend language, can transcend culture, um, and that it can really be a peace building technique. And, and that ultimate is really special because of our spirit of the game and self-officiation and the, the way that we comport ourselves in our relationships on and off the field. And so going to Ultimate Peace that first year, and I did go for many years after that, being part of Ultimate Peace that first time really rejuvenated how I was viewing the sport of Ultimate um, and my role in the sport. And I think it helped me place the focus back on spirit of the game and my the way that I acted on the field and the way that I was able to um, focus on fairness, even, you know, I, I think this is spirit of game, right? Fairness, even when it's not beneficial to yourself. Um, I think that really became very clear to me when I was in the middle of a conflict zone and the, the peace building and conflict resolution part of ultimate frisbee was way more important than whether you caught the goal in the end zone or not. And so that, that was a really important turning point for me in my ultimate career. Now, in a point in time where so a message of togetherness is is really important, you seem to, from today a high school to, to ultimate peace, to all the teams you coach, you, you, you seem to be able to bring together a, a, a people no matter what their background is. Can I, can I ask where you learned that from and how are you able to do that so successfully on a regular basis? Well, thank you, first of all. Um, that's certainly something I try to do, and it's hard to know um, if I'm actually accomplishing it because it's always – it's work, right? Like it's not – you're trying to bring people together that wouldn't naturally coalesce. I think – I don't really know where I learned to do that, probably from David Barkin um, on Ultimate Peace and probably from my interactions with um, Maddie Fry. She's one of my best friends and teammates, um, and they have conflict resolution and public health backgrounds. And I think that when I when I think about my life and how I've had a lot of privilege and I've had a lot of opportunities, a lot of, a lot of those have actually come from being part of Ultimate Frisbee. Um, when I, I'm sure I wrote a college essay about Ultimate Frisbee when I was applying to go to Carleton. I'm, I know that I got my first teaching job, and I think actually every teaching job I've gotten, I've had three major teaching jobs, um, and I think I've gotten every one partially because of what I can do as a coach of Ultimate Frisbee. So all of my career has been based on opportunities that have been afforded by Ultimate. Um, I met my husband through Ultimate Frisbee. Just really every facet of my life has been an opportunity that Ultimate has um, provided for me. And, like, I, I think a lot about why. Like, why did I get Ultimate? Um, and, like we mentioned at the beginning, it's because I went to the only high school in the Southeast that in the 90s had a team. 
Um, you know, University School of Nashville was like our closest competition. Um, but that was it. You had to go up to Amherst, Massachusetts to find youth competition. And so, like, I realized that I got really lucky and that my family was able to send me to an independent school that had ultimate and that had, you know, by all accounts, one of the best coaches, Michael Baccarini, to ever coach a game. And so, like, it's hard for me sometimes to reconcile, like, why did I get that opportunity and, like, my neighbor didn't get that opportunity. Um, And so one of my goals is, like, yeah, I I teach and coach at Paidea, um, but one of my goals is to extend the, the reach of Ultimate, at least in Atlanta, to more than just Paidea kids um, because all all children should have these opportunities that sport and particularly ultimate afford them. And so I, I don't really know how to do what I'm trying to do. You asked me where I learned how to do this. I, I didn't. I just know that it's really important. And so I keep trying. Yeah, you, you, you talk about ultimate. Um, sometimes, uh, I mean, a lot of people find ultimate, and that's that's great and all. But a lot of like sometimes ultimate finds you. That's what makes it special sometimes. And it sounds like that might have happened to you. That's right. That's right. It happened to be. It happened to be at the school where I was. I mean, I part of why I went to Paidea was a great school. Um, but I wanted to play basketball at Paidea, and you know, then then there was ultimate and. Thank goodness. Yeah, I was a swimmer at Central High School in Philadelphia, and my friends would play during lunch, and I I just happened to go out there and play with them, and thirty some odd years later, here we are. You know, I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's hilarious how it sticks with you. You know, it's uh, it's it's pretty special. So, um, but I don't have the extensive resume that you have in in Ultimate. However, you're you're far more accomplished than. Uh, than Shaggy and I combined. Uh, uh, can you can you talk about what your favorite uh, accomplishment is as a player? Uh, as a player, um, sure. Uh, I think I've, I've talked before and I've written about like being on the podium at the World Games and hearing the national anthem. That's obviously extremely special. Winning national championships with Riot was amazing. Um, but there's this one game that immediately popped into my head that uh, I'll talk about because it's it's kind of a weird game. Um, so in 2010, which was the last year I played with Seattle Riot um, before moving to China, I um, we were playing at Worlds in Prague. And because of – there was some funky thing with the seating, I think, from the 2006 – um, Worlds, which was in Australia, and like not many American teams went. In any case, the way the seating went, um, Theory and Riot were seated, I think, two and three. And the and I think Mud, the Japanese team Mud, was seated first. And um, so that meant that Theory and Riot we met in the semifinals, and it was this amazing game in this like Soviet block stadium in Prague. And um, it was a great game, super hot in the middle of July. We lost that semifinal. And the game that I'm, like, most proud of, um, I think, in my career is the next game. So we had one round. So we, Riot loses to Fury, as we tend to do in, <laughs> in big 
situations. Um, and that was like what we had been shooting for. Super disappointed. And we have one round to get ready for the the bronze medal game. And I think that bronze medal game is like one of the hardest games there is in Ultimate. And we were coming up against um, Brute Squad, actually, whom everyone is familiar with now. They were kind of an up-and-coming team at that time. They had some really amazing players that had transitioned over from Godiva. And so they were looking to make some noise. Um, and they weren't bummed at all, losing to the one seed in their semifinal. And so that was one of the hardest games that I've ever had to play. And I was, I still am really very proud of that riot team that we were able to mount uh, in a fence and like take it to brute squad because it really, we could have just rolled over in that game. Um, but we fought for that bronze medal and that's like, I have, I have a lot of gold medals and even more silver medals, but that bronze medal is one that I'm extremely proud of. That's, that's awesome. That's a great story. Thanks. Um, um, and you, you you dropped a little nugget in there that you moved to China. Can you talk about that experience? Sure. Um, yeah, my my now husband, uh, we were dating at the time, uh, studied Mandarin in college and really wanted to, like, get some firsthand experience. And so he was going to move to China and um, and he wanted me to go with him and I had never studied abroad because you know you play enough sports then you're always in season and you can't study abroad or take much time to travel um I had always I had been to all these cool places you know I went to worlds in Hawaii and Germany and all over the world and I'd like never sightseed at all and I was kind of getting tired of going to all these amazing places and never seeing anything and like I had had some injuries and so I felt my competitive career kind of like on a downturn, um, but that was probably the thing that would have kept me in Seattle more than anything was playing for Riot. That's why I moved there in the first place. And uh, so we decided to to apply for jobs, and I got a job at um, a really cool school that's a bilingual school in Shanghai called YK Pao School. And uh, so we moved to the outskirts of Shanghai for two years, and I taught at a boarding school and started the ultimate frisbee team there. Um, go fighting crickets. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, uh, great. Yeah, and we kind of like helped to be part of a, a youth movement in the ultimate community in China as well as like a, a women's movement. Um, so there was there were probably like two, maybe I think there was actually one youth team in the country of China at that time in Dalian. Um, and so we were maybe the second, and then there were a couple more that popped up, and we hosted the first youth tournament um, in China, uh, in Shanghai. And I guess that was probably 2013. Um, and, yeah, and there wasn't a lot of women's play. It was all co-ed um, or open play, and we had some some women's practices. And soon after I left, actually, one of my teammates, Leo Wei, ran the first women's ultimate tournament in mainland China, which is really super awesome. Well, that's definitely go fighting crickets. Isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, how much were you looking forward to playing the Philadelphia Phoenix being them new in your division this year? I was really excited about it. I, I watched a lot of like 
games where the Phoenix had played, you know, we went up to Indianapolis last year, and so I watched games where y'all played Indianapolis, and um, I know some of the players and the coaches on the on the Pittsburgh team. So yeah, it was it was super exciting, and like I I also think in in what was the South Division, <clears throat> there was there were teams that I felt like we're going to always be really hard for us to beat. Like we had like a five to 10% chance of winning those games. You know, the Dallas Roughnecks were always just like extremely good and Raleigh Flyers, those two teams in particular, was always a huge challenge. Um, but I feel like being in a division with Philadelphia, with Pittsburgh, and even in some sense with DC, I was really excited to kind of like be in that scrapping group like this maybe just a little bit under the flyers and and really just like duke it out with y'all this season. Um and you know maybe maybe we'll still get to do it um but I and I, I think we will someday but um yeah I, I will be excited to be in that sort of middling blue collar group with y'all when it happens. Yeah that's right where I think uh, we would be for sure. <laughs> right. With the uh, AUDL's proposed postseason this year, who would be in your pod, and uh, what what are the chances of you getting that playoff berth out of that pod? Well, yeah. So a really unfortunate thing is that, like, because of our realignment for these divisions, like, I think y'all are just back in with the teams you've been playing with against, and we're back in with Raleigh and, and Tampa. Um, so that would be our pod. I believe. Um, and yeah, so that's super unpleasant because Raleigh is very, very strong always. Um, and Tampa is extremely hard to beat, especially um, at Tampa. And so I think even though we're evenly matched with Tampa or we may even be on paper better than Tampa, um, Bradley Sinjins, you heard it here first. Uh, and I think, I think that may be, that's a really tough little pod to get out of. Um, that said, you know, it doesn't really make it any easier for us. It's not going to be any harder than it was like last year, right? Where we had to beat Raleigh like two or three times to get a playoff spot. Um, so I think honestly, the way I was going to be going into this and the way I will go into this, if, if everything shakes out in this return to play is like, this could be the year. Maybe this is the year that it's actually the easiest for us to get out of our little pod division um, because we could definitely surprise people. We beat Tampa a lot. We've beaten Raleigh a few times. And if it happens at the right time, who knows? Do you get the top two in your division coming out or is it just the top one? Just one out of the pod. Uh, that's rough. right, the pod. Our right, pod so. is top two, but Except there are four teams. I wasn't sure oh, if really? it was the same. Oh, so it's you, it's Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, D.C. No, no Pittsburgh. We, gotta, we, uh, get, we, get New, <laughs> we get New York, Boston, and D.C. in our pod. Oh, gross. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. No, no, it's no problem. We'll get that second spot. It's it's right there. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows? It's going to be wild. But, yeah, and then I, I think it hasn't been released yet which pod winners would match with each other. Um, yeah, so we'll see. We will see. I mean, this is uh, this has been great. Chad, what do you got for, uh, for Miranda? 
Oh man, I have so many questions. Uh, well, actually, because you're you're such an impressive person, um, it made it really easy to come up with things. The first thing I want to ask, though, uh, do you own a rabbit? Uh, yes, I do. That's that's got to be the number one question on everybody's mind, too. Thank you for asking. Yeah, of course. I, <laughs> oh, I asked oh man, wait a second. Well, I had that written down as a question. I'd like softball to uh-huh. Shaggy. Give me a break on that. No, oh. so. So I, well, Steve, I did all the research here. I, you, did, um, you did. You did do all the research. <laughs> I, uh, so my, I have a particular rabbit story that I want to tell and then ask you a question based on your rabbit. But what, uh, what's your bunny's name? Um, her name is Avon, actually. We, uh, we named, we had uh, Avon and Stringer. And so for fans of The Wire out there, um, <laughs> they're the bad guys. Well, they're not bad. They're, they're the they're people in the wire. Sure. Unfortunately, That's a nice way to describe Stringer them. Bell, I don't know. It's all in the game, but he's not with us anymore. And so Avon is on her own right now. That was, uh, you're going to make some people that listen to this very happy with uh, <laughs> <laughs> So my grandmother, um, who is uh, much cooler than I am in every way, but she <laughs> she was an Olympic level fencer um, in Hungary wow. in the 30s. And she wasn't allowed to compete because she was Jewish. And then in the 40s, uh, she was at a concentration camp. And she used to catch rabbits um, for the people to eat. And mm-hmm. she would always joke that she was cross-training for when she went back to fencing. She never did go back to fencing. But do you ever uh, cross-train your team with Avon? Or is Avon two of the people for that to work? That's a great question. So um, I <laughs> – I don't train much anymore at all, for one thing. For another thing, Avon is a very um, well-kept rabbit, and so she's pretty easy to catch these days. She's <laughs> huge. She's, like, bigger than some small dogs. And, um, yeah, she's fairly docile. And she's older. She's uh, she's seven years old. So, um, yeah, she's, she's not helping anybody cross-train for the Olympics. Well, <laughs> uh, it was worth a shot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, if I ever get another bunny, I'll definitely consider that as a as a workout for my athletes. What do you think? Yeah. She's like. What do you think? She's like Mick throwing the the chicken down and having Rocky chase it around like like in the movie. <laughs> I don't know. I I know an athlete that trains like that. I was just curious. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we also have a lot of hawks here in Atlanta, so we don't let the rabbits run free oh, in the yard much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then. Uh, the only person that I've ever talked to with a uh, coaching resume like yours is um, Brian Jones, who I only talk to because we're friends. But uh, what's it like to coach uh, an elite, you know, top 20 club team um, and also coach pro? How do you – what are the differences? How do you handle that? Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, Uh it is funny. I I love calling timeouts from the sideline. That's one of my favorite parts about um, coaching the ADL. Um, it's like I guess it's probably having more control over the outcome. Um, and I'm also like I was trained as a basketball coach, so like it feels more like what I was I grew up doing. Um, but yeah, I it is sad for me when we go back to club ultimate that I'm like kind of you know just hanging out on the sideline. Don't feel as empowered um but it is also so nice to have less real estate to worry about on defense and i think brian would probably tell you something similar that you can the lanes are really different when 
you're on a 40 yard wide field instead of a football field. So, um, yeah, I think those are, those are the things that I think about is like going back and forth and in terms of making sure like I'm on my best game during a game so that I'm like ready and on my toes to talk to the officials and call timeouts and things like that, point out penalties that should be called. Um, and then making sure my players are empowered in USAU. Um, so that's a big shift. And then just the, the field size is a big deal. Uh, and then I, I told myself that I would ask you this if I ever got to talk to you or, um, Alex Nord, uh, and I know this was a long time ago, but how do you win a Callahan at Carlton? I thought that wasn't allowed. <laughs> yeah, so both of us have the same story, which is um, the teams don't nominate. Cut and Syzygy do not nominate. Um, and so anybody that wins the Callahan from Carlton is nominated by the regional coordinator, which not everybody knows is a thing, but the regional coordinator, at least then, um, was allowed, maybe even encouraged to nominate. That's also what happened. Um, Y'all are probably too young to remember this, but in 2001, both Angela Lynn and Catherine Kid Shippey were nominated from UGA, two people from the same team. So the UGA women nominated Catherine and the regional coordinator nominated Angela. And that team was dominant. They won nationals that year. Um, but it was too bad because they kind of split the Southeast vote and neither of them won the Callahan um, that year. So so that's what happened for me and Alex is that our, the whatever, North Woods region, um, <laughs> what's now the central region, the coordinator nominated us and we allowed our teams to discuss um, if they thought we should accept the nomination and they encouraged us to accept. We did. We won. <laughs> Do you ever get to coach college? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I used to co uh, coach um, the University of Washington women right after I – so I played my fifth year there, and then I coached them for three years after that. Um, and then I kind of focused more on youth and high school and ultimate peace um, and was still playing. And then I helped a little bit with the Western Washington women that I really – I love that team, um, Go Chaos. And then moved to China. Um, and there's some college ultimate in China, not a ton, and certainly not, it doesn't look like what it looks like here because um, schools don't compete in sports per se. Um, it's all club, very different. Uh, and since being back in Atlanta, I have um, not coached any college. Um, there were really great college coaches here already um, when I came back, and I was like, they've got a great thing going. And I, I just tried to support them, would come out and, you know, play. If they, if they wanted to simulate zone offense, I would gladly come play against their, their zone Ds. Um, but there were, I would say there were mostly just filled coaching positions here in Atlanta for colleges. Um, I would definitely be interested in someday helping out with the U24 um, national teams. I think that's a really exciting kind of intersection that I, I know a lot about youth and a lot about club and pro, and I think it'd be really fun to be a part of that um, someday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Miranda, is there anything else you want to add into the podcast that we haven't asked you? Um, well, have you all scouted the Atlanta Hustle? What do you, what do you think? What do you, oh. what do you see when you, when you look at us? That's what I want to yeah. know. 
if you oh, can boy. say, if you're allowed. Well, we're definitely allowed because neither of us, uh, <laughs> thankfully for the team, work on the strategy part. Okay, good. good. <laughs> so this is purely, purely an outsider's very well-informed perspective. Got it. I I think that I think that you uh, hit hit the nail on the head as far as there's going to be a lot of competition between the hustle and the uh, the cannons, the phoenix, the breeze, the thunderbirds. I I, I think there's there that second spot is up for grabs, and maybe even that the flyers slip up that first spot could be uh, could be had as well. I, I think that the back end of this division would have crept up on the on the flyers, and the competition for that second playoff spot would have been fierce. Yeah, definitely. I felt the same way that you did, um, that Atlanta and Philly were in a similar boat. Uh, and so, and I've watched a lot of D.C., but in maybe February, uh, I committed myself and watched all of the uh, Atlanta hustle games on AUDL TV that I could from last season. Um, <laughs> wow, <to prepare>. nice. <laughs> uh, and the two things that I noticed the most were, um, first, you have a lot of really talented players, and I know that uh, – I knew that Matt Smith was really good, but I was mm-hmm. blown away watching him in game um, by just like the the speed and in little in like small situations. I wasn't ready to see that, um, so that was cool. <laughs> well, stay then, ready, stay ready to see that because it's not changing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing was that it seemed to me, and you know, what do I know really? But that you guys had more uh, pull plays than the Phoenix did, uh, and really than like watching the East Division last year, a lot of the teams that you did. Um, and that was cool to see because it wasn't something that I was uh, used to. But I could have just been wrong. It could have just been that your team was so on sync that, to me, it looked like a pull play, and then actually it was just <laughs> everybody knowing exactly what they wanted the other people to do. Yeah, I think we do have a lot of pull plays, and, like, sometimes maybe too many, but we do have a lot of plays. Um, and... Are, I'm good. I'm proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right on. You're right on. And I think the challenge, though, is with so many teams coming down in sort of like saggy, squishy defense for a few passes, like what's the point? <laughs> so I think, you know, the next step is trying to think about like delayed pull plays, kind of like a delayed fast break in basketball. Like what do you do once they've flexed out of their junk? Um, I'm really interested in like trying to explore that. Someday soon. Well, if I ever move to Atlanta, uh, I'd love to <laughs> find out more about what you discovered. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You let me know when you come into town. Shaggy travels with the team a lot, so you might actually see him, Miranda. Be careful what you ask for. Oh, <laughs> yeah. man. I, I don't want to talk about it. I, I definitely would have been at the Atlanta games. I was so excited. And I had a lot of friends in Atlanta, and I told them, one of whom worked for Ultimate Peace but in, like, 2016. Uh, oh, cool. Doesn't matter, right? Now it, I'll have to put it off another year. You know, right. I'm you know I'm kidding, Shag. You know I'm only pulling your your strings. That's all. Well, my hope is that you know whenever we do get to re restart our play the way we had planned it, that everybody will be like more ready. That it'll be you know a year and a half in the making, and we'll be more excited and more grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, that's well said. A good coach's perspective. <laughs> right. I'm sure the players are like, ah. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll be here. All right. Well, for Alexander Shaggy Shragas, for Miranda Knowles, the head coach of the Atlanta Hustle, I'm Steve Leinert.
Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Burning Bird.